All right. Okay, Glenn, you want to... You're on the air? You're on the air. Okay. Well, I'm not going to sit down then if I get... I'm the only one up here. Well, what can I tell you about the Bible Presbyterian Church? Um, I really didn't prepare a separate briefing on this. Briefing. Yeah. Another separate message, I'm sorry. Old habits are hard to break. Um, I grew up in the Bible Presbyterian Church. Uh, my family was in the Collingswood Presbyterian Church. Um, about five pastors before they had to come out of the old Presbyterian Church USA. What happened, to give you some background, this thing's a little hot. Can we, I think? Yeah, I'm hearing myself twice. Thank you. Um, is it better I stay up here? I feel like... This... Out the door? Okay. That's the next one. <laughs> I really couldn't see the clock this morning, so I apologize. Uh, in, in uh, where was I? We were in the Presbyterian Church USA. And in 1910, or 1900, right around in there, you may not be aware, but the Presbyterian Church USA passed several resolutions that said, essentially, it is an essential doctrine of the Word of God and our standards, meaning the Westminster Confession of Faith. That was the standard. It's like uh, you guys were in the RCA. You go by BDH, Belgic, Heidelberg, and Dort. Well, we go by... Westminster Confession of Faith, which is written a little, it was written all together, and it was written after those three documents, but, and it was written in English as opposed to, what, Dutch, Latin? I've, I'm, my mind is drawing a blank what the original languages were. But they're, they're the same thing. The arrangement is, it's the same doctrine. Uh, really, there's no different. And when we use we use Belgic and Dort. And in fact, one of our synods recently celebrated uh, the canons of Dort and talked about it. Um, but we, they passed resolutions at the turn of the century saying it is an essential doctrine of the word of God and our standards. And it listed five, which today are known as the five fundamentals. It comes out of what the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church USA originally passed had to do with um, inerrancy of scripture, virgin birth of Christ, um, uh, his miracles, his um, perfect life. I'm missing them now because my mind is, I'm tired. Um, but it's the five that we, we refer to as the fundamentals. Not long after that, there were a series of magazines published by a couple of Methodist brothers. They were oilmen, they were with Standard Oil. They were in uh, California, and they put out a series of magazines which were called The Fundamentals. And they got a bunch of um, scholars to write articles defending these and explaining them because they were under attack uh, elsewhere in some churches, and especially in Europe. And they mailed these magazines out. Well, because of that, people who held to these, 
essential doctrines became referred to uh, as a sneer. They would say, well, you're fundamentalists because you believe these fundamental things of, of this magazine, which was the fundamental things that the Presbyterians originally did. Uh, in 1924, however, a bunch of uh, Presbyterian Church USA ministers got together in a place called Auburn, New York, and they said, well, yeah, we, we believe them, but, you know, not quite the way that you guys are saying it, and, you know, this kind of wish you it's never It's never, no, we don't believe that. It's always, well, we do, but you have to understand, you know, he rose from the dead, sort of, you know, he was a... He, Maybe he was asleep. Maybe he was some... So this became known, this thing that they signed became known as the uh, Auburn Affirmation. And the next year, 1925, I guess, they got together and in the General Assembly and everybody was fired up. We got to do something. So they elected Mr. Fundamentalist, a guy by the name of uh, McCartney, who was pastor of... Um, Art Street Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And they elected him moderator and they said, see, the people that really believe the Bible are still in charge. Isn't this great? Yeah, it's great. And that was the end of it. They never asked about the guys that had just signed statements saying they didn't believe this stuff. They never put them on trial, you know, ecclesiastical trials. They never challenged them. And what always happens, we find, is that the, uh, the Bible-believing guys tend to become the pastors and the liberal guys tend to take over the church machinery. And then the dominoes began to fall. They took over Princeton Seminary. Princeton Seminary used to be a center of evangelical theology. I mean, it, it was the center. Princeton theology was the Bible theology. Charles Hodge, Warfield, these guys. And, uh, and we were talking, by the way, Talk about the common heritage that we have. There's not a dime's worth of difference between the old, what was the Dutch Reform that became the RCA and, and the English-speaking Reform, which is the Presbyterians. You know, during the Great Awakening, when Whitfield came over and, and he preached to the English-speaking crowds, you know, it was the Dutch farmers that gave up their barns so that they had places to meet because there was a Great Awakening going on in Dutch without any communication with the English side at the same time. And the Dutch church had a problem because the guys being shipped over from Holland were, uh, I forget the terms, conferenti or something. It's a Dutch word, and I, I don't speak any Dutch, as opposed to the quitus or something. Anyway, the guys here were believers, and they were preaching the Bible, the Dutch guys. And so we need a place where we train Bible-believing, Dutch-speaking ministers. They formed a school which today is called Rutgers. It was formed to train Bible-believing, evangelistic, Dutch-speaking pastors. At the very same time, the English crowd was, English-speaking crowd, was forming a school to train English-speaking, Bible-believing, evangelistic ministers called Princeton. They're sister schools. And... Uh, one of the elders in the first church I pastored was a guy by the name of Hardenberg. He was a direct descendant of Jacob Hardenberg, who was one of the founders of Rutgers under Freelinghuisen. I mean, I'm throwing out a bunch of names here, but the point was this, this is a connection I've had for a long time. He says, oh, you need to know about this. So from an early time, I, was, I didn't know about that. 
but it was like the other side of Jersey. It's North Jersey. See, that's Rutgers. That's North Jersey. That's, that's them other people up there, like your pastor. Anyway, um, where was it? The, the, um, the Presbyterian Church kept, they, they took over Princeton. The liberals took over Princeton. They reorganized the board and forcibly changed it into a, a seminary that was no longer standing for the essential doctrines of the Word of God, and they brought in a lot of stuff. So some of the, the men that taught at Princeton went down to Philadelphia and formed another seminary called Westminster. But that didn't stop the onward march of the liberalism. So then, finally, a guy by the name of J. Gresham Machen, who was also part of Princeton, said, this is it. We're going to lose everything if we don't go for broke. And he formed something called the Independent Board for Presbyterian Foreign Missions. Because the Board of Foreign Missions of the Presbyterian Church USA, the official synod board, was sending out missionaries that didn't believe in things like sin, let alone salvation. I mean, you don't have sin, you don't need salvation, right? One of the missionaries under this was a lady by the name of Pearl Buck, who absolutely didn't believe anything. And yet she was a missionary under the board. And so he kept going up, Machen kept going up saying, how are we doing this? And so to draw the line, he formed this independent board and he knew that would result in an ecclesiastical trial. And all these liberals that demanded liberty when they were in the minority pounced and put all the members of this board of foreign missions on trial, this independent board for Presbyterian foreign missions, put them on trial and convicted them all. So suddenly, not only were you... Uh, tolerated if you were liberal, you were excluded if you believed the Bible. And they, they kicked them all out. They were defrocked. They got together and unfortunately I think what happens, and I'm having studied this a long time, you know, when, when Christians go through a traumatic thing like this, these ministers that got kicked out and the congregations that left went through terrible things. The church my family was in had built this beautiful Gothic church. And the Presbytery, it turns out, owned it. They lost everything. They walked out the door. And they said, okay, you know, if that's the cost, that's the cost. And uh, I remember my grandparents talking about it and how, how much it cost them when they walked out. I mean, in terms of, they loved that place. They, my dad was saved in that building. Things had happened there, you know, all their kids had been saved there. And, um, and they, they came out, they, the ministers lost their pensions. Uh, they were supposed to receive those. They lost everything. And they came out and they tried to get together. They formed what was called the Presbyterian Church of America. The one that's around now is called the Presbyterian Church in America. The Presbyterian Church USA took them to court in love and demanded that they change their name. And about the time they were changing their name, unfortunately, these guys who had been through all this trauma divided into two groups, the Orthodox Presbyterian, what's called now the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and, and the Bible Presbyterian Church. Um, I think everybody wishes that didn't work like that, but you know, people go through this kind of trial and trauma. It happens. But in God's providence, it's kind of like, I think, Paul and Barnabas. You know, it's, they, they both kind of had their niche and their, their outreach and their purpose. And so I think we kind of accept that, although we're always, um, 
I think everybody's kind of wishing it didn't happen, but at the same time, there are differences between the two. And uh, some of the guys, uh, I don't know if you know, did you know Al Pontier? Al Pontier? Al Pontier was in my youth group in Collingswood. Um, uh, Joe, um, well, anyway, I can name you guys that were my students when I was at Shelton College, and they're now in the OPC. So they're good guys. They're a good, good bunch. Um, we love them, and they have their ways of doing things. And uh, To characterize the BPC, I think we are a little more, um, well, we have a saying in the Eastern Presbytery. Let me put it this way. In the Eastern Presbytery, which is what you guys would be part of, that's what I'm part of, and a presbytery is like a um, uh, classes, right? That's your classes. I've got to get them straight. And a consistory, consistory is, your, is our session. Yeah, that's it. Anyway, but I wasn't in the Navy, so I wouldn't know about that. Uh, my dad was. Um, the, in, the, in the Eastern Presbytery, which is that geographical area that you would fall under, that I'm in, we have a saying that we take God's work very seriously and ourselves with a grain of salt. Um, if you come to one of our Presbytery meetings, you'll hear Robert's Rules of Order referred to as in, uh, hey, don't, shouldn't we do this? That's because we, are, we have a, a, a spirit of support for each other. Robert's Rules of Order and, and things like that are important for any large body to make decisions. But it's not a weapon. It's a means to get things done and to get it done in an orderly way. We've elected, historically in the EP, we've elected new guys coming in. Uh, the guy that is now our moderator uh, was actually, uh, he came there from the PCA, um, He's in Greenville, South Carolina, Steve Hill. And Steve said, I don't know anything about Robert's Rules. And they, so I, you know, somebody nominated him and said, I can't do this. I don't know anything about Robert's Rules. He said, that's no excuse. So we sentenced him to two years as the moderator. And, uh, and it'll be funny. Steve will get up there and say, okay, now how do I take a vote? Okay, as many as are in favor, say aye. Okay, and then you have to say as many as are opposed, say nay. And we walk each other through this. But the idea is we're here to encourage each other and to hold each other accountable because that's the genius of the whole reform system of, of elders and ministers and, and presbyteries to hold each other accountable and to encourage each other because it is lonely. If you're going to stand for the word of God today, you're going to find yourself alone a lot of the time. We've been blessed in this day of Zoom meetings, so we stay in close contact. We meet at least once a month on prayer meetings, but we meet more than that. We conduct business that way, and we get together. Right now, we're only getting together once a year because of the expense of travel, so we cut back on travel, but we stay in close contact with each other. Lots of one-on-one, -on -one. Um, but I think the biggest thing about it is we are, we are trying to get the job done stay absolutely solid with the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, no, no quibbling on that, and, and uh, maintain fidelity to the Word of God and encourage each other in our outreach. Um, there were other stuff, but I'm, I'm losing it. I'm forgetting. Okay, anybody got a question? Maybe that's a way to do it. Tell them.
what would you like to know about the Bible Presbyterian Church? I was, I was moderator a couple of times of the General Synod. I've been moderator a few times of the Presbytery, so I've been around. Yes, ma'am. Oh, what seminary? We have actually, we have one that's kind of our, oh, let me explain this. Uh, To answer your question forthrightly, Western Reformed Seminary in Tacoma. Actually, it's Olympia now, I think. They had a fire in the building they were in. They had to buy another building. So it's in Olympia, Western Reformed Seminary. But some of our guys are going to school in in, uh, Greenville. Yes. It's uh, Greenville Seminary, right? And they will intern under uh, one of, we have two BP churches in that area now. We have one in, in Greer and we have one in uh, Reedy River. Those are on either side of Greenville proper, if you know anything about Greenville. The Bible Presbyterian Church, <clears throat> one of the lessons we learned has to do with agencies. Um, We've seen the problems with synod-controlled agencies. We've seen the problems with independent agencies. We've seen problems with both of them. We think that independent agencies work better for us. And the idea of an independent agency is that, um, suppose this was a presbytery. Well, some of you, with guys from another presbytery, you would form an, an agency like the mission board. We have a, one mission board is called Presbyterian Missionary Union. Another missionary board is called the Independent Board for Presbyterian Foreign Missions. That one has come down. And these conduct their business. They do it internally. But they report to the synod and say, okay, this is who we are. We inspect their books. We go over all that, make sure you know, money is being spent where it should be spent. We require things of them. We are the auditing agency for them. And then we decide, is this agency doing the work that needs that should be done as it should be done. And if they're not, we don't have to endorse them as a synod. And if they are, they continue. No church is obligated to support any church board, which is one of the reasons we stuck with the independent agency thing. Churches are not taxed. You are free to contribute where you wish. Your session, your elders, and your pastor will recommend this to the congregation, you know, where the money goes. That's not up to the denomination. You're not taxed saying, you must support our boards. You're free to, as you feel led of the Lord. And so missionaries will let you know what they're doing, and, and uh, you can choose to support them. That's true of the mission boards. It's true of the seminary. It's true of... Uh, that way, part of it is that the, the synod can't forcibly reorganize the seminary the way it was done at Princeton. Now, is this the absolutely, totally best system as opposed to the Senate-controlled thing? No. There's, there's advantages to both of them. For us, this works. Um, the other big thing that's written in indelible letters, as it were, in our Constitution is church property belongs to the congregation. It does not belong to the Bible of a strange church. And churches are bound together by, quote, mutual love and confidence. If, for example, this church were part of the BPC and you said, we no longer 
have confidence that this denomination is standing for the word of God or doing those things they ought to do, free to go. Nothing binds you except mutual love and confidence. You're not all put on trial. Nobody holds your deed. In fact, one very sad uh, court trial I was involved in, we did have a, you know, some of our brethren, the OPC says, you guys never have trials. Well, I was involved in one because it turned out the pastor had put the, uh, um, he and his wife had put the property deed in their name. And uh, we had to deal with that. But the pastor doesn't own it. The congregation owns it. And the session, and they maintain that. Um, so we, we guard carefully the liberty of these congregations. We think it's the only way to operate in this day when things are like, who would have thought these big churches that were once gospel beacons would ever fall the way they have? But they have. And now some of the new ones that we had such real hopes in, they're wandering off in some weird directions over issues like homosexuality and you know, ordinations and things like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's very difficult today. Okay, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm talking over you. I'm excited, but I don't want to talk over you. Yes, sir. Yes, the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's, it is the equivalent. I mean, me personally, I subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, but the, the, the doctrinal statement of the Bible Presbyterian Church is the Westminster Confession of Faith with the larger and shorter catechisms. Just like you had the, um, you know, Belgic and, and Heidelberg and Dort. Does that answer the question? Okay. Yes. They say they, yes. And this is the problem. One of the interesting things I learned as working with other chaplains from other groups, do you know men have tried to come up with safeguards for the gospel all through the centuries? And every time we try and do it, there's always an end run around it. Do you know in the early church, <clears throat> for example, if your child, <clears throat> if your child made a profession of faith, right, your Christian parents and your, your little boy or girl says, I believe in Jesus, okay. The early church would say, well, that's good, but before they receive communion, because we don't want them to misunderstand communion, we don't want them to think that salvation is conveyed by communion or whatever. We want to make sure that this child really understands. And they would say, well, um, the parents can't really evaluate that because the, the mom and dad want this child to believe. So they really can't judge this objectively. And the pastor knows this little boy or girl. He wants them to be a believer, so he can't really be objective. So we'll go down the road to get some old pastor. We'll bring him in and he'll examine the child for church membership, as it were. Do you know that's still going on today in the Roman Catholic Church? You say, what, what, what do you mean? Well, you ever see confirmation? 
You ever see a confirmation service? I stood there and I said, look at this. They don't know what they're doing, but it's what it is. They bring in the bishop. Well, that's the old guy from down the road. And what does the bishop do in a confirmation service? He asks questions. And he examines the children. Now, it's all very formal. It doesn't mean anything now because of the way they've all been taught the right answers to say and, and it has to do with, you know, the whole Roman doctrine and all that. But the form was originally given to safeguard the gospel. But there's always a way around it. So you're, you're absolutely right. If you asked a guy in the PCUSA, do you believe the Westminster Confession of Faith? He would say, yes. Even in the PCUSA. Even though they are ordained not believing the virgin birth of Christ or miracles or, or anything. But they would say, oh, but we believe the Westminster Confession of Faith. So ultimately, that's why churches are together by mutual love and confidence because how else do you protect it except by comp bottom line common sense? Do they really believe it? No. So it's a good point. Good question. We're, our ordination questions are supposed to be structured so that we come as close as we can to making it bulletproof, but that's reality. People are sinners. Yes, ma'am. Sure. Yes. Right. Well, the same way. The Westminster Confession of Faith is <clears throat> 16, well, the Shorter Catechism is 1647. I always remember that because 300 years before I was born. But around there it was written. And so obviously the language of it, and, and here's another thing. When we first formed the Bible Presbyterian Church, there was a sense that we had to protect the right of certain eschatological views, for example, like premillennialism. Uh, there was a feeling that some groups wanted to get rid of premillennials, others wanted to get rid of amillennials, others wanted to... So we, we actually amended the Constitution and, and, and did some things to make sure that there would be liberty. And that was really the point of all that, to make sure there's liberty. Most of the, the early guys were all premills. Right now, I'd say it's about half and half with a few post mills thrown in there. If, if I'm speaking Greek, that's fine. You know. Uh, but that's, that's kind of the background. Um, when it comes to evaluating exceptions, uh, I'm trying to think of one. You know, the Westminster Confession has been amended several times. We did it when we first adopted it in, in terms of statements regarding eschatology, but also um, <laughs> The original Westminster Confession said, uh, we submit to the king. And when the Americans adopted that in 1787, they said, no, we don't. <laughs> so that came out. So there are some exceptions, which, um, you know, a, a deep thinking theological guy would say, but the presbytery has to evaluate that and say, yeah, but if you say you take an exception to the virgin birth of Christ, no. And ultimately it comes down to that, that call. Yes, ma'am. By immersion or by 
Um, I sprinkle. Um, I don't know anybody in there who, who, um, who immerses right now. There's nothing, historically, there, Presbyterians have, have never forbidden anybody to practice baptism by immersion, ever. Um, there have been some who did. You know, the free, free Presbyterians in North of Ireland practice baptism by immersion. Um, that, that's their standard. But I'd say that BPs, I don't know of anybody who, who doesn't sprinkle or I think the proper term is effusion, the, the pouring water on. I think it's, it's biblical in its uh, picture and, and, you know, what it's conveying. I better drink some or I'll... I don't mean to be rude, but it's better than coughing. And thank you for your patience with that. Yes, ma- yes sir. Do I have a what? Oh, yes. Yes. What did I do with my book? I'd have to find them. I can show them to you, the, the ordination questions. They're the same ordination questions, pretty much that um, they're very, very similar to, I think, just about all the reform bodies. Um, let me find out later. My, my eyes aren't working real well. But I'll find them and show them to you. But yes, um, do you receive the system of doctrine as taught in the Westminster Confession of Faith? Jordan, do, you, do you agree to be submissive to your brethren? Um, and that's true. Now, just like in the RCA, standard reform system, elders are ordained with, by, by election from your congregation, Correct. They're elected by the congregation? You affirm them? Okay. Well, yes, yes, yes. I'm using a different term, but that's what we do, yes. And, uh, but, but does, do the elders, the elders are still members of the congregation? Okay. Are the ministers still members? Okay, they are part of the classes. Correct. That's the same thing. Same system. And you know why we do that? You know why Presbyterians have always done Remember, Presbyterians come out of Scottish background. Keeps the pastor's fingers out of the till. If a pastor is held accountable by the presbytery, and that he, he is answerable, and he goes, if, if he is in a, uh, an issue of uh, doctrinal error or whatever, he's put on trial by the presbytery. Uh, elders are are held accountable by the congregation and their fellow elders. So, uh, well, I forget the question I was answering. Other than, oh, well, accountability, accountability, and yes, I, I agree to be accountable to my brethren. And I don't know. We don't have a lot of trials, but again, um, most of the guys who come in there know why they're there, and they're good guys. We have had some, though. Sometimes, sadly, it's important to hold the line. How many congregations are there? I was sitting over there trying to remember. I think it's about 30 of them now. And we're all over the place, country-wise. Yes, ma'am. Well, we were there, and I was thinking to myself, again, 
No, no. Women are, we don't believe that's their office. We believe that is an office that God has specified for men. Um, and frankly, we think, and we're not quoting the Bible here, but what my finding is, there are godly women do a great job. They probably would, but, and so I, I don't know why God said that, but we think he did. But one of the practical aspects is when the ladies start doing it, the men back off and won't do their job. <laughs> and we've seen that too many times. Women need to hold men accountable and make them step up and do their job. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe it's, yeah. I'll be sitting around here. You can ask me anything you want. Well, thank you. Oh. 